Today's reading is from Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City Church, and we're we're glad that you're here. Uh, If you are new to join us, we are currently halfway through uh, a series on Sabbath, God's rhythm of holiness and healing, for holiness and healing. And and we're going through this uh, series in part uh, to help prepare us for this fall, uh, when we as a church will practice doing Sabbath together. We're going to try a Sabbath, a communal Sabbath experiment uh, it's going to take place in different, in different ways, individual and communal, and at different times, uh, daily practices, weekly practices, monthly events, and so on. And we're, we're working on a Sabbath guide that will be available toward the end of this month that's um, full of ideas, many from people in our church. And we're also working on a devotional podcast that will sort of accompany us on the journey. And the reason we're doing all of this is um, we don't just want to learn about Sabbath and why it's good. Uh, we want to actually do it and experience God's goodness. Uh, My friend Aaron Nequa says it like this, Jesus didn't say, here is the truth, believe me. He declared, I am the truth, follow me. So what we're after is not just more information, but transformation. Information is good, and, and there's a lot of it. We live, after all, in the information age, but information alone cannot change us cannot save us, cannot make things better. Information, even good, helpful, mind-blowing information, must be acted upon in order for it to be really effective. And so what we're after is, is not just to change the way we think, but to change what we do and how we do it. What we're after is, is not just about what we choose to do, but also what we choose not to do. See, we want to be a community that doesn't just agree with the right things or think the right things, but believes in the full life embodied way that we've talked about before, where to believe, to believe is to act as if something is true. Specifically, we want to believe, to live, to act as if Jesus is real. And the kingdom of God he talked about so much is real and true and worth pursuing. And the work of the Spirit is real and true. And the invitation to get involved and to participate and to see more of heaven on earth is real and true and life-giving. That's why we're talking about Sabbath. That's why we're going to practice Sabbath together. Uh, Our current series here right now is to help us reframe Sabbath, to give us a a common understanding of how we're looking at and understanding Sabbath. So I'd encourage you, if you have missed the last couple weeks, to go back and have a listen. Uh, Matthew laid the groundwork by talking about what it is and how Sabbath is worship. Uh, Next week, Justin Henry will talk about Sabbath and community. And this week, I want to talk about Sabbath as justice. Sabbath as justice. Now, as you may know, the instruction to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy is one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, The last couple weeks, we read the corresponding verses in Exodus, but it's also in the book of Deuteronomy, as we heard read earlier. It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. 
Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. And here in Deuteronomy, there's also an extended explanation for the why of Sabbath that you don't get in Exodus. It says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Somehow, this command to have a separate and distinct day is connected with the Israelites' history, particularly their enslavement in Egypt. See, from the beginning of creation in Genesis, when human beings are made, they were given work to do, to have dominion over all that has been created, to exercise wise sovereignty over the things entrusted to them. But this work was not intended to be onerous or oppressive. It certainly wasn't supposed to be like it was for the Israelites in slavery. The book of Exodus tells us that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh for 400 years. Okay, 400 years. Their work became their identity. They were slaves who made bricks. Slaves who made bricks. Now, if that was your frame of reference, that for time immemorial your people had been brick-making slaves, for 400 years, how would you know how to be any different? How to live any different? How would you know how to live without bricks and chains? See, the Ten Commandments, they can seem onerous and oppressive to us. Things you have to obey or else. And it's normal for, for our sinful, selfish nature to think that anything coming from God is trying to restrict us and to control us and to shut down our fun. We want to be free to do whatever we want, to meet whatever needs we feel. But as Matthew hinted at in the last couple of weeks, this, this is a freedom. Coming from slavery, these Ten Commandments are more like ten freedoms. Ways to live in community outside of bondage. It's like God is saying, let me show you a new way of living, a better way to be. And one of those ways was to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. One day a week, away from work. Can you imagine that for a people who were used to being forced to work every day, every week, every month, every year, for 400 years, for generations? Can you imagine what it would be like for your work and your activity and your productivity to be your identity and your worth and your value and for you to know nothing else? Well, of course we can. It's not hard. We see it all around us, maybe even in our own lives. For us here in Washington, D.C., in the 21st century, this, this same commandment can be a freedom as well. Maybe not from a life of, of actual bricks and chains, but from the bricks and chains of perpetual activity. From feeling as if changing the world depends on us and us alone, or from feeling as if you are the only one who cares about this cause, or the only one who can make a difference in this person's life, this is a freedom, and it is the freedom of God's world. Uh, earlier in the summer, I quoted Father William Maestri, who said, Justice in the Bible is far from a balancing of scales and giving in hope of return. Justice is never based on mere merit, but it looks instead to needs. 
Justice looks to need. So at least one way of thinking about justice, according to the Bible, is the work of caring for those in need. Jesus talks about the least of these in Matthew 25, including, including by redressing the systems and structures that have led to those situations of need. Okay? Where there are chains, there is a need for freedom. And so that's how I want to talk about Sabbath in the context of justice today. As freedom. And I want to talk about it in three ways. Sabbath as freedom for ourselves. Sabbath as freedom for others. And Sabbath as freedom for our world. But because I think it's our natural inclination to think about things in that order. Us first. And then others. And then maybe the world. I want to address them in reverse order. So first, Sabbath as freedom for our world. Sabbath was a weekly practice for the people of Israel. But it was also just one outward expression of a value that God wanted to instill in them. Every seventh day was intended to be a day of rest. But that wasn't all that God put in place. In Exodus 23, he said, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the wild animals may eat. You shall do the same with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Every seventh day was a Sabbath day, and every seventh year was a Sabbath year or sabbatical year. And the year after the 49th year, which was seven times seven, was the Jubilee year, which uh, I don't have time to go into today, uh, but you can read about it in Leviticus 25. Every seventh year was a sabbatical year when nothing would be sown, nothing would be reaped, even the earth itself was given a break. The nutrients in the soil would be replenished. The overuse of the fields would be prevented. Leviticus 25 says, In the seventh year there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Sabbath for the land is a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath, you, your male and female slaves, your hired and bound laborers who live with you, and for your livestock also, and for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall be for food. See, there's an acute sense here of the interconnection of all of creation that I think we've lost because of our disconnection with the earth. We aren't, we aren't farmers. We don't follow the agricultural timelines, most of us. We live in a city. And so it takes a little bit more effort to be reminded of how we are tied to creation. Uh, how many of you remember learning something like this uh, diagram in school? The hydrologic, the water cycle. So for some of you, that's actually what you do for work. Um, you know, precipitation, rain or snowfall leads to groundwater and surface runoff. Evaporation takes place off of oceans, lakes, and streams. Transpiration occurs in plants. Condensation forms, and when it's heavy enough, it leads to precipitation again. I remember learning about deforestation in the Amazon rainforest to clear room for industrial farming and logging businesses, which led to the removal of homes for millions of species. But also it led to the exposure of the soil to the sun because the trees weren't there to provide the shade or to return water vapor to the atmosphere via transpiration, which led to the earth drying up and becoming barren. So that what was once rich and lush and nutrient-full was no longer fit for anything. 
It also meant that photosynthesis wasn't happening as much, which meant that less carbon dioxide was being converted into oxygen. And oxygen, if you weren't aware, is pretty useful for us human beings. Our, indigen our indigenous and native brothers and sisters knew something or two about the importance of the land. There's an ancient Iroquois principle of making today's decisions, particularly when related to the earth and to water and other natural resources, with seven generations in mind. That is, your great-grandchildren's great-great-grandchildren. Hence, seventh-generation home products. Oh, there you go. Learn something new. But it's an understanding of our connection and our interconnection with the created world, that, the, that what we do with the world that God has given us has consequences for those that follow us. It's pretty intuitive. Randy Woodley is a Kitoa Cherokee teacher and theologian, and he talks about how in Genesis human beings were, created, were called to, to steward creation, and he calls them creation keepers. Creation keepers. He says, in native communities, a keeper of a particular ceremony or tradition is someone who's been properly trained for that task, who's been entrusted with it by the community, and who maintains that responsibility through knowledge, experience, and practice. But, he says, perhaps this charge is different from what many Western traditions have envisioned. It's not an invitation to control animals or the earth, but to care deeply for them in a covenant relationship. The Creator is saying, get to know the animals and learn from them and allow them to teach you their ways. Make your covenants with them and take care of them. And we don't talk a, a whole lot about caring for the land. We talk a lot about caring for the neighborhood. And every once in a while, we'll have a cleanup in Kingman Island, which is one of our local green spaces. And, and I'll, I admit that, that some of that is, is a presumption on my part that we all know we have a responsibility to care for our world. Um, I mean, we, we mostly recycle, right, if it's available. Maybe we don't leave the faucet running while we brush our teeth and we remember to turn off the lights when we leave the house. Those were the lessons that I remember from, from elementary school of how to care for the world. I mean, God, God created things. God tells us to take care of those things. Uh, we should do it, right? But, uh, you know, God also created human beings in his image, and we often don't treat one another in that way, so maybe I should stop presuming. In the 13th century, St. Francis of Assisi wrote a song called The Canticle of the Sun. And the hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King, is based on this song. Here are some of the verses. Praised be you, my Lord, through brother wind, and through the air, cloudy and serene, and every kind of weather through which you give sustenance to your creatures. Praised be you, my Lord, through sister water, which is very useful and humble and precious and chaste. Praise be you, my Lord, through Brother Fire, through whom you light the night, and he is beautiful and playful and robust and strong. Praise be you, my Lord, through Sister Mother Earth, who sustains us and governs us and who produces varied fruits with colored flowers and herbs. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. Now, creation here means more than just the earth and the environment, but it certainly doesn't mean less. The world is ours to steward, not to despoil. 
That's what God said in Genesis, and, and that's what he codified in the law. Let the earth rest. Justin Henry and I were talking the other day about, about his Sabbath seminar and the, the questions that have been coming up in those gatherings, including what would it look like if we consumed one-seventh less than we do? If we drove cars one-seventh less, or used electricity one-seventh less, or flew on airplanes one-seventh less, or threw away one-seventh less. Now you might be thinking, well, I'm just one person. It's not going to make a huge difference. But what if we all did it? What if we made a, a difference for our community? How we care for the earth matters. So maybe once a week we choose to walk or bike instead of driving. Maybe once a week we, we choose not to buy anything. And I am the Amazonaholic of us all. <laughs> maybe once a week we find a way to care for the creation that's all around us. Maybe once a week we, we get involved in advocacy or, or around creation care or climate change or local environmentalism. What might that look like for you to steward creation? What might that look like for us? And that's not a rhetorical question. I, I, if you have ideas, email me. I would love to hear them. I would love for us to explore ways that we as a community can exhibit Sabbath care for our world. Because Sabbath is freedom for our world. Or to be more precise, Sabbath is freedom for God's world. Second, Sabbath is freedom for others. Uh, you may have noticed this in Exodus 23 when, when talking about the sabbatical year. It says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the poor of your people may eat. Or this from Deuteronomy 5 when talking about the Sabbath. You shall not do any work, Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any animals, nor any foreigners residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. In other words, God is saying, you know what it's like to be forced to work 24-7. Don't do that to someone else. Everyone gets to rest. Everyone gets to experience God's rest. You, your kids, your servants, or some translations say your slaves, your animals, your immigrants. Everyone. Not just the ones at the top of the pecking order. Everyone. Everyone gets to experience God's rest and God's provision. At least that's how God intended it to be. Nowadays, writes Pastor A.J. Swoboda, we live in a 24-7 world. He says, I can at any hour go to the grocery store and purchase what I need. I can email a colleague late at night and most likely get a response before sunrise. I can go to a noodle stand down the street and eat whatever I want, whenever I want. I can get anything, anytime at my leisure. And with all of this convenience, it is easy to forget the price tag of such convenience. Others. A 24-7 world requires a 24-7 workforce. And the result is this, the kind of Sabbath inequality where some rest and some cannot. This is our reality. Too often we, we, we go through life without considering the impact of our non-Sabbath keeping on others. For example, I don't know if you've ever gotten a work email right before you were about to go out or about to go to bed or on a weekend. might just be me. But it just 
frustrates you or irritates you or makes you anxious or starts your mind racing about things that you'll just ruminate over until you're back at work or maybe you'll feel like you need to deal with it right then and there. Now, now some of you have work that requires long hours. I get that. And, and, and some of you have unconventional hours. I totally get that. But now, put yourself in someone else's shoes receiving your work-related email after hours or as they're about to spend time with their loved ones. I'm not saying you need to draw other people's boundaries for them. And I know we don't all have control over our workplaces. But I am saying we should be aware of what control and influence we do have. What agency we do have. And how what we do affects others. That maybe, maybe, just maybe, we can make it easier for others to practice Sabbath too. Uh, years ago, when I started working at the district church, my friend Mike, who, who serves on the leadership team, he gave me some advice that has changed my life. He said, use your work email for work and your home email for home. That's it. <laughs> it was as simple as that. But what that means is, when I'm practicing Sabbath well, I can actually choose to turn off and not check my work email. I love when people email me on Monday, which is a non-work day for me, and they say, I hope you're not reading this unless it's Tuesday. Now, full, full confession, more often than I'd like, I am reading it on Monday because, let's be real, Sabbath is hard to keep, even for me. But I don't reply to it on Monday. <laughs> so, that's a small win. But as much as you can, encourage your friends to do the same. If you own a business or if you lead a team, encourage your colleagues to do the same. Sabbath is freedom not just for ourselves, which I'll get to in a moment, but for others. For as the great Nelson Mandela said, to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. Enhances, as in makes better, makes more possible, encourages. Or as Paul wrote in his letter to the church in Galatia, you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Even Sabbath freedom was not intended to be an opportunity for self-indulgence. Sabbath was not intended for each one of us as individuals to say, I'm washing my hands of everything. I'm out. Y'all are on your own. I'm just looking after me today. There is a place for self-care, as we'll see. But it is so easy, for, let me just speak for myself, it is so easy for me for that to tip over into self-indulgence. But if we, if we, all of us, if all of us are interconnected in the same way that we are interconnected with the rest of creation, and if you're not quite convinced of that, think about if you don't take a Sabbath, how grumpy and tired you are. And let me tell you, that affects other people, <laughs> in case you weren't aware. But if we're all truly interconnected, how might we, through love, use our freedom, in this case our Sabbath freedom, in service to one another? To the extent 
of becoming slaves to one another. See, the most simplistic practice of Sabbath would be to say, Sunday or Saturday is my day. I just ain't doing anything on it. Maybe you don't volunteer for anything on Sundays because it's your Sabbath and you need the break. You just need to receive and be loved. And if that is the season of life you're in or the way we can serve you for the work you do the rest of the week, what I'm saying, what I'm going to say next doesn't apply to you. But if you haven't, if you just haven't thought about it, or if you've just thought about Sabbath individualistically, about what it means for you personally, which is a good start, let me encourage you to consider the interconnectedness of our community and how we serve one another, even on our Sabbath, by, by cleaning chairs so you don't sit in a kid's lunch from the week, or by putting connection cards out so that someone who's setting foot in a church for the first time in D.C. or for the first time in a long time has some way to respond. Or by teaching kids the gospel and blessing parents with a break. Or by setting up the stages and the pipe and drape and the lights and, and running the sounds so that we can hear each other. Or so that if you miss a Sunday or if you're helping out with Kid City, you can still listen to the message. Or by prov providing communion or prayer so that those in need of a ministering presence can receive it. Or by playing in the band so that we can cultivate an environment where we can be attentive to the presence of God. Talking about Sabbath, I'll be honest, talking about Sabbath can sometimes feel like a guilt trip or a shame exercise, and that's not what I'm trying to do. My hope and prayer is that we don't just become individuals who practice individual Sabbaths, though, like I said, that would be a start, but that we become a Sabbath-practicing congregation and community, loving and serving and giving to one another so that we might all experience freedom. And that, I think, is what it looks like to go beyond the letter of the law and to discover the heart of Sabbath, Sabbath as freedom for others. So, what would it look like for you to practice Sabbath in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others? Whether in our church community or in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your family with your kids. Again, I would love to hear your ideas. I would love to hear what you guys come up with. And then third, Sabbath as freedom for ourselves. As a church, we are invited to participate in life with Christ and in life in Christ. We're called to seek and be about the kingdom of God, where what God wants to happen actually happens, and to seeing that on earth as in heaven. And what that means for us is a commitment to preaching and living out a gospel, good news, that Christ's life, death, and resurrection affected redemption. That is, it opened the way to new life for all of us. Every part of us, every one of us, and all of creation. Every part of it. And one of the, one of the implications of that is that we are called to the work of justice. Prophet Micah said, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And if, as I said earlier, the work of justice is the work of caring for those in need, including by redressing the systems and structures that have led to those situations of need, then practically for us that means a number of things. It means a commitment to being and becoming a church that reflects the diversity and multi-ethnicity of heaven, as seen in Revelation 7, where every nation, tribe, and language were gathered, worshiping God together. 
It means a commitment to caring for the poor and advocating for and with them. It means having hard conversations around race and sexuality so that everyone might be welcome here. It means being willing to say that separating immigrant families and mass incarceration are wrong. It means being aware of the very real issues, the needs that are plaguing our community, our neighborhood, our city, our country, and our world, and being willing to do something about them. The way I see it, if God made every human being in the divine image, if Jesus died to save all people and to redeem all of creation, if grace is available to everyone, then I'm called to that same radical love and inclusion of every life, at every stage of life, from womb to tomb. That's what it looks like for me to love God and to demonstrate that love through my love of neighbor. That's what it looks like to do justice. Now, I share all of that because I believe that is the life Christ calls all of us to. Invites all of us to participate in with our families and friends at our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. And it looks a little bit different for each of us. We're all wired in different ways. God has placed us in different places. And don't get me wrong. This, this life that Christ invites us to, it is full. It is abundant. It is nourishing, as Jesus promised in John 10. It is the timeless kind of life, beginning now and lasting into eternity. It is worth jumping into. It is what we were made for. But it is not necessarily easy. And the last couple of years have been particularly tiring. I've had many a conversation with many a friend about how we survive, how we thrive in the work of justice, how to not burn out participating in the work of God. And the answer, the gift, has been Sabbath. As Rabbi Abraham Heschel said, on the Sabbath we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands but our soul belongs to someone else. Now, you may be here and you're not quite sure what it looks like for, to care about justice or whether you're called to that work. You may just be curious about Jesus and, or, or, or wondering how to survive in life. Sabbath is for you too. Sabbath is for all of us. But Sabbath and grace and blessing and favor and even the love of God are never just for us. They're never intended to stop with us. As we've seen, they're intended to overflow in us to others, to be shared by us and to flow through us. And so whether you're a teacher preparing to go back to school and educate our city's kids, or whether you work at a nonprofit or in government and you're feeling ground down by the structural barriers to making a difference, or, or you're just trying to raise good kids, Sabbath is for you. One way of looking at Sabbath as freedom for ourselves is as self-care on the journey, particularly on the journey of justice. A black feminist, poet, author, and civil rights activist Audre Lorde said, Caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. To use a well-worn analogy, if you're trying to chop down a tree and you never stop to sharpen the axe, the axe is only going to get duller and duller and your work is going to get harder and harder. Every so often you need to stop, sharpen your axe. But another way of looking at Sabbath is to make sure we remain connected and grounded 
in God. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was having breakfast with my friend Delante Golson, who pastors Peace Fellowship just up the road from here. And we were talking about Sabbath. And he said, I need to remember that Sabbath isn't about checking out. It's about checking in. I told him I was going to steal that. <laughs> but because I've credited him, it's not stealing. It's not about checking out. It's not about zoning out. It's not about vegging out. It's about checking in with God, with others, with, with ourselves. And what we've tried to communicate over the last couple of weeks is that Sabbath isn't, isn't just a day off. It's so much more. Sabbath is freedom for ourselves, but not freedom in the sense that we're un unencumbered by anything. Rather, freedom as it's found in the Bible, which is reconnection with God, with one another, and with ourselves. It's slowing down enough to be aware of what's going on in, our, uh, in us and why we're being driven to, to pursue the things we're, being, we're pursuing. So I offer some practical ideas uh, from author and speaker and friend Kathy Kong. You can think about Sabbath in three ways. Rest, restore, and be ready to go. Rest, restore, and be ready to go. All right? Rest is taking a break. It's getting enough sleep. It's having naps. It's turning off technology. It's, it's being aware of your caffeine and alcohol intake. Restoring is a little different. It's a little deeper. Kathy says that if rest is turning off the engine, restoration is filling up the tank. Maybe that's exercise for you or taking care of your mental health or spending time in community. For me, restoration takes, place of, uh, takes the form of playing music just for myself. And then being ready to go, being prepared for what comes next, for what God is about to launch us back into. And that's not all hard work. You can it's, you know, read, read for fun, read to learn, read the Bible to be transformed. Expose yourself to different experiences, especially creative ones, if, if that's not part of your regular existence. And pray. Being ready to go requires prayer. She writes, pray alone, pray in community, learn to pray new prayers and in new ways, pray aloud and silently, write your prayers, walk your prayers, breathe your prayers. As Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann said, we may come to know, but not likely without Sabbath, a rest rooted in God's own restfulness and extended to our neighbors who also must rest. We, with our hurts, fears, and exhaustion, are left restless until then. I want to close with this. It's from Isaiah 56. The prophet Isaiah says, Do not let the foreigner joined to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, who minister to him, who to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold my covenant, these I will bring my, to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. I really wish I had time to unpack this passage, but 
It's fascinating to me that the only outward sign that God asks of foreigners and eunuchs, those who would otherwise be cut off from the community of God, the only outward sign that God asks for is that they observe the Sabbath. Maybe it's because, more than any of the other commandments, the Sabbath is a reminder of grace. Grace from God to rest in God's world. Grace from us to others and from others to us. Grace from us for our creation and from creation to us. Sabbath is a grace-drenched invitation to a whole life, whole creation rest. And in that way, Jesus Christ, who we heard last week declaring himself the Lord of the Sabbath, is the fulfillment and the embodiment of Sabbath. Jesus Christ is the incarnation of the grace and the invitation of God. Right? The one who held his arms open for those who would otherwise be cut off from the community of God. The one who offers grace and rest to each one of us, reminds us to offer grace to others, and exhorts us to live graciously in the Father's world. Jesus Christ, who lived in such a way and died in such a way and rose to proclaim that freedom and rest and justice and grace and love and serving others are the foundations of the kingdom of God. And because of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews can say, so then, a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did from His. In a moment, we'll, we'll take communion together. The meal that Jesus invited us to participate in, in remembrance of him. The bread representing his body that was broken for us. The juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. We receive communion. We'll give you the bread. You can dip it in the juice. We receive communion as we receive Christ as a gift of grace. We receive communion and we receive Christ as we receive Sabbath as a gift of grace. And then in response, we live grace-filled, Christ-shaped, Sabbath-keeping lives so that others might also experience the grace and the Sabbath in Christ. Would you pray with me? God, in those ways that, that we, we need to hear from you, we need to receive from you, we need to be challenged by you, we need to be comforted by you, Lord. And what, you know our hearts, you know our situations, you know what's going on in our lives, in our heads, in our hearts, in our relationships. You know those places where we're feeling stretched and strained, where we feel like we're at the end of our rope. And God, for some here, even just the thought and the idea of practicing Sabbath for themselves is, is, feels like a stretch too far. And God, what I pray is that you would offer the grace that lifts heads, that provides an embrace, that says, I did not come here to shame you. I came here that you might have life and that's what I want for you.
But God, at the same time, even as we feel like we, we can't help others until we've fixed ourselves, Lord, it's sometimes in the act of helping others and being for others that you heal us. And so, God, would you, by your Spirit, spark our imaginations? Would you give us ideas? Would you inspire us? Would you give us the eyes to see, even as we go out from this place, even as we look at our lives and the ways that we interact with our, our, our loved ones, our, our families, our kids, our, our, our colleagues? Would you give us eyes to see? Ways that we're using our freedom for ourselves and not for others. And God, would you give us eyes to see that you are at work in every, in everything we see. God, not a, not a sparrow falls to the earth, but you don't see it. And we, we kind of just treat that as a poetic license, but it's true every piece of creation speaks of you and sings of you and points to you and, and if we stay silent even the rocks and, and trees will cry out and God it can, it can feel kind of airy fairy to, to just you know talk about creation and you know, how we're all connected to it and, you know, and it feels kind of ethereal and weird but God, I believe that you, if we're following you, if we're seeing you, God, we're, we're the most aware people that walk the planet. The most aware of grace. Because we see it everywhere. So would you open our eyes? And God, as we come to receive communion, as we open our hands, God, would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes? to be a Sabbath people uh, who offer a Sabbath rest to all in need for the sake of the kingdom to the glory of God and in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray these things. Amen.